0: clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in
2: for a balanced view
0: of the other side of the news. good morning good night and good evening my name is timothy saunders one of your co-hosts on this 24th edition of the other side of the news i'm speaking to you this morning from southwest turkey which for many of you is on the other side of the globe i'll soon be joined by co-host and producer kintia together with co-host and researcher annette driscoll who are both currently living under an incredible terracotta colored sky in california This show is entitled Reality Hijack 911. We're going to revisit and offer you important updates on a series of events that occurred on this day 19 years ago. Events that were so big and so abhorrent to the belief system of humanity that very few could even take in the gravity of what was actually occurring. September the 11th, 2001 was a day that stunned the world. And while the state of fear, sorrow, and disbelief was in play, many hands used this opportunity to seek and extort unimaginable advantage. Three skyscrapers were totally demolished by two aircraft in New York. Yes, Building 7 mysteriously made a freefall dive into its own footprint in as many seconds, many hours after the Twin Towers plunged to their doom. Despite being engineered to resist such an attack further the pentagon was struck by some kind of high-speed projectile allegedly a passenger aircraft and one other plane was reported to have crash-landed into a forest however no bodies were ever recovered and apart from an ugly hole in the ground and a few small pieces of aircraft debris this was not the only source of an abnormal crash site investigation as the aircraft that hit the pentagon made unexpected and impossible penetrations and then all but evaporated. It was reported that all of the chaos was caused by terrorist hijackers fulfilling a unified plan, which was coincidentally on the very same day a government military exercise was underway to practice how to deter a similar hypothetical outcome. Here is an excerpt from an interview with a qualified individual who was an eyewitness. Keith, please roll sound excerpt A.
3: Donald, you're probably the best known builder, uh, particularly of of, of great buildings in the city. There's a great deal of question about whether or not the damage and, and the ultimate destruction of the buildings was caused by the airplanes,
1: by architectural defect, or possibly by bombs or, or aftershocks. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it was an architectural defect. Yeah, you know, the World Trade Center was always known as a very, very strong building. Don't forget, that took a big bomb in the basement. Now, the basement is the most vulnerable place because that's your foundation, and it withstood that. And I got to see that area about three or four days after it took place because one of my structural engineers actually took me for a tour because he did the building. And I said, I can't believe it. The building was standing solid and half of the columns were blown out. I mean, so this was an unbelievably powerful building. Uh, If you know anything about structure, it was one of the first buildings that was built from the outside. The steel, the reason the World Trade Center had such narrow windows is that in between all the windows, you had the steel on the outside. So you had the steel on the outside of the building. That's why when I first looked, and you had big, heavy I-beams. When I first looked at it, I couldn't believe it because there was a hole in the steel. And this is steel that was, you remember the, the width of the windows in the World Trade Center, folks. I think, you you know, if you were ever up there, they were quite narrow. And in between was this heavy steel. I said, how could a plane, even a plane, even a 767 or 747 or whatever it might have been, how could it possibly go through this steel? I happen to think that they had not only a plane, but they had bombs that exploded almost simultaneously. Because I just can't imagine anything being able to go through that wall most buildings are built with the steelers on the inside around the elevator shaft this one was built from the outside which is the strongest structure you can have and it was almost just like a uh, like a can of soup
0: these words were recorded on 9 11 2001 by the way it is worth noting all of these reality changing events occurred before mainstream awareness of fake news the majority of the population still sincerely believed the news, reported the truth, still believed the governments and the authorities were democratically voted in to look after and care for their people. While 9-11 is remembered for the huge loss of life, the bravery of the emergency teams and the physical damage, these events also were used to craft emotions of every painful and bloody nose to the pride of the United States and its allies. As history records, these emotions were used to persuade the people to support going to war. These wars on terror ravaged many countries and cost the lives of countless soldiers and civilians, not to mention the trillions of dollars in expenditure. Despite these seemingly unparalleled losses, in hindsight, a far greater wave of destruction against humanity originated from the 9-11 epicenter. The stunned fear and guided pride was also used to usher and rush in the Patriot Act. This was the beginning of a far more overt power grab through surveillance in the name of security, to gain a temporary acquisition of control that has so far not been relinquished to this day. So many similar acts around the world have given rise to bring global change by hijacking our reality and our freedom in parallel with many other forms of overt and covert programming. To bring us to where we are today, The search for weapons of mass destruction lead to the war on terror, both now replaced by a very smart, invisible, and infinitely malleable terrorist named COVID-19. While I do not deny COVID-19 exists, even the CDC is now openly admitting the actual number of deaths caused by COVID-19 is around 6% of what has been previously reported. This means the remaining 94% died of other more normal causes, oh, and those who died unnecessarily due to lack of care, fear and neglect. To put this into perspective, according to a recent respected university study, even those who test positive have a 1 in 19.1 million chance of dying from COVID-19. You are therefore more likely to win the lottery. So why the masks, the antisocial distancing, the lockdown? Well, for those who are not yet smelling the coffee, COVID-19 is not about health. It is about the latest milestone being rolled out in the minority's dystopian agenda. It's an attempt to gain more nefarious control over us, to bring in the Great Reset. COVID-19 is the metaphorical 9-11 event that is the false reason used by the WHO to call the pandemic. We've gone from war on terrorism to bioterrorism which also began some 19 years ago with the anthrax mail shots. The events on September the 11, 2001 were the microcosm to today's COVID-19 pandemic macrocosm, which is effectively a war against us, the people. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www the other other side of midnight.com, click on the other side of the news in the menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white, the other side of the news show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references and selected research. As usual, there's a huge collection of information to read, watch and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I do urge you to watch them sooner than later as the censorship bots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you will find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a burning question or perhaps would like to share an important feat on the ground observation, please dial plus one if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You'll come through to our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you onto our runway and then into the air. One gentle reminder, when you hear the show through your telephone, please switch off your radio, laptop, iPad, or any other listening device to avoid unpleasant feedback. During the last week, we have once again seen many remarkable events in the news. Each topic raised and its backstory could easily fill up one show by itself. But in short, We have heard more information to validate the major admission from the CDC, as reported last week, that the data concerning COVID-19 test results and the D numbers, or deaths, have been massively over-exaggerated. We have seen many more people awaken to the reality that the data simply does not support or warrant this pandemic. While at the same time, in true cognitive dissident style, the authorities at the hand of the minority continue to impose stricter rules which include extended mask wearing and extreme anti-social distancing, all while mainstream censorship continues to thrive. This is most likely a reflection of the increased number of people becoming aware of this pandemic fraud and possibly because AstraZeneca has announced a major setback with its vaccine trials. Apparently, the vaccine which is already in production makes people sick. Now, there's a surprise. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research and to stop acquiescing. Stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Tonight, Barbara Honegger, Richard Gage, Dave Meiswinkel, and Mick Harrison are our guests, and they are such individuals. I very much look forward to j- them joining us shortly. Good evening, Kinthia.
4: Good, good evening, Aletta.
0: How is reality in California?
4: Well,
2: it's clearing up a little. A couple of days ago, it was like... A ruby red sky in the middle of the afternoon. It looked like twilight time. Very dark, but uh, fortunately, it is clearing up, and I'm so grateful for that.
0: The world is an amazing mechanism. Huh? I mean, you sent me a couple of photographs. I could not believe them. I mean, you you shared the words, and I heard yes, like a redden sky, an umber sky, but when I saw the photographs, I couldn't believe it. It was like a <laughs> like a, a photographic negative. Unbelievable,
5: right? Right.
0: But now it's clearing.
5: Well, it is clearing, and uh, the you know it's interesting because the air quality went down as we have more light. But that's because the the fog that was holding all that back from us um, and and keeping the smoke up above us, which changed the light refraction, then let all the, uh, the the particulate down down to us. We're getting really covered in ash, by the way. So. It's, it's an interesting and disturbing process, and well, I won't go further with that. But
0: <laughs> I, I, I always say it. But I heard that uh, the authorities are telling you not to wear the same masks you, you used to protect you from COVID nineteen because they will not hold out the smoke particles and the ash. Is that right?
3: <laughs>
5: That's absolutely true. Yes, I go back to my point: <laughs> three microns over and over again. Yes, that they also don't hold out the virus. But let's let's not look at that nasty little no. bit of science. Yes.
0: Why would you do that?
5: Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. So yes, that's true. Um, and uh, a lot, a lot of the uh, even, even the N ninety five is only marginally helpful with this because a lot of the particulate again is is below the ability of the mass to filter it. So uh, smaller than. So yes, when the same the same thing. So, but it, but it does a fine job of making you breathe your own carbon
2: dioxide and all that. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a very exciting show lined up this evening. and um,
2: I'd like to turn our attention before we get to our guests. I know we have a really fully packed show, but I, I'd like to revisit Victoria, Australia for a moment because last week we were talking about the oppressive uh, tactics that they're taking. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I'm going to ask... Uh, Keith to play the second sound bite, my soundbite from Victor Amador who is an Australian down there. And he's changed my view about something. So Keith, would you play that for us? Because down there they I are do doing lots
6: on all Americans that are listening tonight a warning. And uh, do not give up your second amendment. Under no circumstances let them take your guns. That's right. Absolutely That's not. You'll be disempowered and you'll become like us. We're prisoners in an open gulag at the moment, subjugated by a governor, a premier we call them here, but governor for you, who's just gone off the reservation, totally rogue. And uh, I'll tell you some of the things that he's uh, he's doing. But before I do, I need to tell you something, that Mm -hmm. Melbourne is ground zero globally for a number of reasons. Um, because how could it happen, you know, for essentially for a liberal democratic uh, democracy here mm-hmm. that was open, uh, free, um, you know, carefree. Um, Melbourne is uh, one of the strong cities network of the world. And this is a global organisation, NGO, based in London, of whose board consists of many trilateral commissions and the usual bunch of criminals that you know about, um, Melbourne joined, uh, the strong cities network and America has got a number of them as well. And they just happen to be the cities where Antifa and BLM are at the moment. And let, me, developed- let me name the, uh,
1: let, let, first of all, look in guests, please, all of you look under Victor's name and you'll see strong cities in Victoria, Australia, and how that program has been implemented. This is like a big beta test down there to me. Uh, beware of the strong cities network. That's another story to click and look at. These are these are fascinating.
2: So that was Jeff Rents in an interview last night with Victor Amador, and basically it's it's become like a prison for those uh, Australians there in Victoria, and you know they're warning us don't let that happen here, and so many people are so complacent, so. I want to say it changed my view about bearing arms. I've never been one to want to own a gun, and I don't know that I'm going to go out and buy a gun, but I certainly want to make sure that those who want to have a gun to defend their rights have the ability to do so. I'd also like to mention that on the other side of the news, we endeavor to provide information for you to make a wise choice when it comes time for the elections. We are not supporting either candidate. We respect your choice. Tonight, we're honored to have several members of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry. As we have a packed show, I will share only a brief highlight of their work, and you can reference their extensive bios on tonight's show page. The overall mission of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry is to develop and implement a detailed legal strategy to achieve transparency and accountability under the law regarding the unprosecuted crimes of 911 and now, in addition, the anthrax attack. Attorney Mick Harrison is the litigation director. Of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry, as well as a public interest lawyer in private practice. Harrison has 25 years of experience litigating whistleblower protection lawsuits and environmental protection citizen suits nationwide. Next, we have David Meiswinkle, a practicing criminal defense attorney in New Jersey since 1989. He is presently the president of and on the board of the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry. Architect Richard Gage is a San Francisco Bay Area architect of 30 years, a member of the American Institute of Architects, and the founder and president of Architects and Engineers for 911 Truth. And of course, our frequent guest on the other side of midnight. Barbara Honiger, She's on the board and an officer on the Lawyers Committee, as well as a member of the Grand Jury Petition Drafting Committee. Barbara served as a White House policy analyst, director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice. And from 1995 to 2011, Barbara was the senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, which is our Department of Defense. Pentagon School of Premier Science Technology and the National Security Affairs Graduate Research University. I'd also like to bring your attention to how you can help bring to justice the criminals behind these heinous crimes by supporting the Lawyers Committee for 911 Inquiry by going to lc 911org that's lc for lawyers committee There you will find a donate button, as well as the new Anthrax Congressional Petition. So at this time, I'd like to bring Barbara on to pave the way for the unfolding of these breaking revelations. Barbara, are you with us? Can you hear me? Yes, we can.
3: Oh, I'm unmuted. Welcome. Great. (laughs) I think I'll just start by saying thank you so much, Kinthea. Thank you so much to all of our hosts here on the show. Um, Thank you so much for both The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News, which is a relatively new show, a spin-off thanks to Richard Hoagland, uh, letting you guys have your own show, which is very exciting. And I believe this is the first time I've been on this, maybe the second Um, But it's great that we have both shows because they are very different and they're both very important And I understand they both reach a huge audience and quite an overlapping worldwide audience. So thank you so much. That's number one Um, So I guess I'd just like to say um, That it's an honor uh, To be part of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 inquiry. I'm also on the board and an officer as well as on the uh, grand jury petition drafting committees um And I think that people need to know uh, how important our work is. Um, uh, All of us on the program right now, myself, Nick, and Dave, we're just on, in fact, Richard Gage's, the first night of Richard Gage's three-night, three-day, three-night, 9-11 anniversary weekend conference, online conference, everything's online this year. And uh, we just got off that show. It was uh, about a little over an hour, maybe about an hour and 10, 15 minutes. And I will be sending you can the uh, link to the video of that, which will probably be on YouTube, but if not, you'll have the link bit shoot or whatever to to add to uh, our items um, in the near future. So if, if it's, it's not going to be up tonight, but it should be up tomorrow night by the time we get that link. It's really important for people to watch that because... We had, some of us had slides, and I think we are, you can also see us, <laughs> because it was video and audio, and uh, it was one of the better presentations that the Lawyers Committee, and, and the, this, only the second one in this 9-11 anniversary season that we have done, and we got a tremendous amount of information out, probably more and in more uh, detail than will be on this show, so uh, that we'll be able to do on this show. So um, that's my comment, and the next one is uh, Margaret Mead's uh, famous quote. Um, I'm not sure I'll get it exactly right, but I think I can pull it up here. Uh, yeah, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And all of, our, all of your listeners need to know that the Lawyers' Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, for the reasons you're about to hear on this program tonight, And we will also, all of us, including Richard Gage, be on the other side of midnight tomorrow night with Richard. So tune in on that as well, because we'll have three hours to go over even more of the critical information. You will see when you hear both of these shows why the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 inquiry really is one of those rare organizations of thoughtful, committed citizens that not only can change the world, but we are changing the world. So thank you for... um, again for the show, and I'd like to turn it over to the Lawyers Committee's uh, President and Executive Director, uh, and Attorney David Meishwinkle.
2: Thank you. Welcome, David. Are you there?
7: Are you on mute, David? Uh,
8: There. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Cynthia. Thank you very much. Uh, You know, the beginning, uh, before... uh, we got on basically and listening to the events, uh, uh were very extremely interesting. Uh, and the, in particular the Australian account what's happening in Australia, you know, years ago, I, uh, took a uh, backpack and went around the world for six and a half months, but I was in Australia and I hitchhiked the entire continent, 9,000 miles around it. So I'm familiar with some of these areas and very a lot of the areas, but I found the Australian people are probably the nicest people that I've ever met. But it's so sad to see that uh, they're basically becoming slaves, it seems. Anyway, but going to the context uh, of what you presented there and looking at what we're involved with, our uh, Lawyers Committee is a nonprofit. And as you mentioned, we're interested in the transparency and accountability regarding the crimes of 9-11. And uh, to uh, sort of to uh, wedge with what was said previously, is uh, 9-11 is sort of the Pandora's box to all these bad things that are happening in the world, in my opinion. Now, that's not a position that the Lawyers Committee has taken, but it's a position that, personally, uh, I think that if that was properly investigated, uh, we wouldn't have these problems that go on throughout the world, because the people responsible for those crimes would have been in jail, and I think it would have, uh, if there is an agenda, it would have really upset the, the apple cart, so to speak. What we have done is uh, thus far, we've been in- investigated two of the crimes you would say would be associated with that period of time. The first one is the World Trade Center uh, complex that was destroyed, and in particular, towers. And we have uh, created a grand jury petition uh, and that is uh, a petition that was submitted to the United States Attorney in the Southern District. And uh, basically, we asked them to present our grand jury. We gave them the law to do that. I think it was 18 U.S.C. 3332A, and which says that he is to uh, provide the, to the grand jury our evidence, which is dispositive of controlled demolition. This is evidence that's saying there were bombs in the building and there was, uh, there's proof of it, not only a little proof, there's 47 exhibits or more, uh, 120 or more firemen were talking about uh, explosives. It's, there's scientific analysis and reports, uh, there's videos. Uh, there's a lot of proof that these buildings were uh, detonated, that the office fires and the jet fuel was just a cover for uh, the, the official story, to justify the official story. The office buildings, uh, steel structured buildings, have never come down because of fire. They can't. They can't burn hot enough to melt the steel the way it needs to. Uh, it, obviously, it was come down by controlled demolition. Anyway,
2: hold it we there, are present- uh, David. I yeah. apologize. We're going to break, so we'll pick this up when we come back. Oh, okay. Thank okay. you.
8: Sure.
2: our desire desire is to
0: awaken your imagination. imagination with questions questions that have not been asked yet need answering the other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community
1: learning new things asking questions getting
0: compelling answers
2: and interesting viewpoints It's about curiosity.
0: We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events.
2: Tune in for a balanced view
0: of the other side of the news.
1: The other side of the news can be heard here, on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, 2 hours, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. I warn you,
4: you'll miss it at your own peril.
5: Welcome back to the other side of the news. And uh, this is Annetta, and I I needed to pick up where David left off here. We kind of had to abruptly cut you off. Sorry about that. So you can pick up where you started, where you left off there.
8: (laughs) Thank you very much. What we were talking about was the World Trade Center Towers, and we're uh, uh, joined up with the architects and engineers as uh, co-plaintiffs with others. Uh, in a lawsuit to force, it's called a mandamus, federal mandamus lawsuit, to force the U.S. attorney to present the evidence, which by law he's supposed to present. And we're waiting for a decision on that any day now. And Mick, our litigation director, can tell you more about that. Now, in addition to uh, the World Trade Center uh, complex, we also have a lawsuit in Washington, D.C., over the 9-11 Review Commission, uh, and having to do with the mandate uh, that Congress uh, uh, basically set up, that the FBI was supposed to assess any evidence that hadn't been considered originally by the original 9/11 Commission. And this was a seven-count lawsuit that uh, dealt with the explosive evidence. It dealt with the high fivers or the dancing Israelis, who uh, it indicated that there may have been some foreknowledge. It d- dealt with. Uh, the uh, destruction of that evidence, the photographs we were trying to get through the New Jersey State Police that developed them. uh, It dealt with also a fourth count had to do with the Saudi financing, a fifth count to deal with the Pentagon photos that nobody knew existed, and the cameras that we uh, found out through a a FOIA from someone who uh, advised us accordingly. And it has to do with the uh, plane parts. Uh, The plane parts have... uh, serial numbers, and there's a lot of dispute as to what planes actually hit what buildings and what crashed in Pennsylvania. And then the last one had to do with cell phone communications, because there was cell phone communications, but there's evidence to indicate that cell phone communication can't be made about 8,000 feet. And it seems the FBI changed their position as far as to whether it was cell phones or air phones later on when they had to go to trial with the Massawi trial. So that's something we're appealing to, that's in Washington. But, uh, and we have a number of interesting FOIAs that are going on. That's the Freedom of Information Act. But yesterday, we announced for the first time in New York City that we are uh, petitioning Congress over the anthrax uh, poisonings and attacks in 2001. There were five uh, people that died uh, from that. There were 17 who became ill from it. And there was two U.S. senators that were uh, we look at as assassination attempts on Patrick Leahy and Thomas Daxel. Uh, They were ones that uh, could be interpreted to be holding up the uh, Patriot Act or wanted to have some amendments or some uh, slower review on it. And uh, the uh, at at that same time, we had eventually the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, uh, But for those anthrax attacks in that World Trade Center complex being detonated, uh, perhaps none of this would have happened and the history would be totally different. Now, what we've done is we've made contact and uh, with uh, the head of the Amerithrax investigation at that time, uh, Richard Lambert, who addressed our organization, our group, our anthrax committee, and uh, for at least three hours. And he was, he was a whistleblower and he was the head of the investigation for the FBI and he left it. And he gave them a 2,000-page report, which no one's seen. He told us that if we want it, we have to go to Congress probably to get it, and we're going to do that. And 16 pages, uh, he indicated, that were exculpatory of Bruce Ivins. Ivins is the person who was accused by the government, the final person, (laughs) wasn't the first person, to be accused by the government of being the uh, person who who created the anthrax and mailed it out. And eventually he uh, he died from a suicide or apparent suicide. So uh, w- what we've uh, propounded or at least uh, announced yesterday were three really bold areas. And, and again, Mick can uh, flush these out. But uh, the first was that Bruce Ivins was innocent. He was scapegoated. And uh, as I said, he wasn't the uh, first suspect. The, the uh, first people that they really looked at were... Uh, Two fellows that worked in in Pennsylvania, and uh, th- those fellows lost their jobs because of the FBI harassment. The second fellow was a a doctor in New York. He lost his marriage because of the harassment. The third the third fellow was a guy who worked for uh, a Battelle uh, uh, Memorial. That's a uh, basically a military contractor and formerly with Fort Detrick. And he lost his life. He uh, drank himself to death. Or he had a bad liver. The, the next uh, suspect was Stephen Hatfield. And Hatfield, uh, he fought back eventually after being uh, harassed by the FBI for a very long time and won about a $5 million judgment against them, $5 million settlement against them. And then uh, Bruce Ivins. Now, we've made contact with the scientists in, uh, at Fort Detrick. Uh, which is the uh, United States Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. And uh, we have declarations from four of the scientists there, three of them are colonels. And they stand by Bruce Ivins as being a very good person and not having the capabilities of doing what the government says. At Fort Detrick, they do not manufacture the kind of or create the kind of anthrax that was used in these attacks. Uh, They are are interested in developing anthrax in a liquid form. These anthrax attacks went out. The first one was about uh, September 18th, I believe, was mailed out. And three weeks later, there was a a second batch. The first batch went to Tom Brokaw, NBC, CBS, ABC up in New York. The second batch went to the uh, U.S. senators in Washington. And there may have been a third batch, one in between there, that went to a, uh, a a journalist in Florida who died. He was the first person to die on October 5th of 2001. Uh, the first uh, the suspects were supposedly Al-Qaeda. The newspapers trumpeted Al-Qaeda as the suspects. Then it was Al-Qaeda being sponsored by Iraq, and the newspapers and politicians uh, trumpeted that. But eventually, because of the mixture of what the, the the anthrax was made out of, it didn't have the betonite in it, Was was common for Iraqi uh but it was a aim strain which is american and eventually then all of a sudden it looked like it was some kind of domestic terrorism and that's why they started to, they uh you know to sort of look within the United States what we found out the FBI uh investigation was uh was a fraudulent at least in our opinion it was deceptive it wasn't honest it wasn't done in good faith we might say it was corrupt and uh what happened then is that uh the uh, most likely suspects weren't considered uh and that would have been uh, dugway dete- uh, proving ground in utah because they made uh certain kind of uh anthrax or had they had what they call b subtilis that was uh in found in this uh murder weapon the anthrax that this this the uh senator's got, and uh also, uh, Dugway uh, Proving Ground and also Battelle Memorial, because they had a form of anthrax that had silicon and tinnin in microencapsulation, which is a, a real rarefied form. It's almost like a gas. It's, it just it evaporates right out, comes out right at you out of the yeah. uh, envelope. So I don't know if uh, how much time I have and how much time you expect me to. I could talk more, but I don't want to take up mixed time. So you have to tell me if I've spoken too long. <laughs> all right. Well,
5: well, I do. I do have some questions for you. Um, I mean, it, it's a great background, and and I appreciate it. And I and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, don't know all those parts for, for sure. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of things that we could go through. Um, one thing, I, and I, I know Timothy's going to talk about it. I just want to emphasize it. He, uh, in his links, uh, he has a absolutely fantastic video. Um, it's something changed. I can't remember the title of it right now. And I'm not with a computer. My computer crapped out this week. So um, I can't look. But uh, a fantastic video actually detailing many of the things that you just covered as far as the 9-11 goes, not so much to anthrax, but how all, the, how all the pieces fit together. And this is just another one of those pieces. Um, I, think, I think one of our, our things that we'd like to know, I mean, as far as our listeners go, could you talk about a little bit about the symptoms of anthrax and how that works?
8: Well, that's, that's a good point. And maybe Barbara and, and Mick, know I know it's, it's just you, from, from reading the accounts of the people, they just get uh, kind of sick, almost like a bad flu but it just keeps on getting worse and worse. And it, the, see the, the the anthrax, there's different types. There's the inhalation anthrax, which is the worst. That's the deadly one. And it's set up the smaller the spores. These spores are super small. They're uh, a, a trillion uh, spores per gram. Think of that. What was done, there was a study that had uh, as to how many uh how how large amount of anthrax you can get into an envelope and, and and you know safely send it to someone to kill them basically, and they, they the the, uh, the verdict was like two grams so one gram and and I, I believe that probably we're talking even maybe less than one gram but one gram in an envelope. Uh, would uh, have a trillion just think about that a trillion it's almost hard to believe you know we were talking that we were on a radio show in new york uh, yesterday and and uh jason goodman the host there he said you know that reminds me of the nanothermite because see we, we in new york city nanothermite we believe was used to bring the buildings down and that's a high-grade military explosive but you, you have to look and find it under a microscope you know basically uh, you might find some chips maybe here and there so it's very sophisticated. So the, what happens is that the little, uh, in the inhalation uh, uh, anthrax, it, it'll infect the lungs. And then there's like a guy, uh, one of the scientists, when they first looked at this uh, Stevens death, uh, they were studying his, you know, the lungs and stuff like that. And uh, they couldn't believe it. He said it looked like just his lungs were teeming with worms they just grew so you he, he can't breathe you you just suffocate you know and and then you know you you have your liquids and fluids and you're you're drowning yourself uh then there's there's a cutaneous where you can touch it yourself yeah. or somebody can touch you and you get a scab eventually a big nasty black scab and then there's also uh, digestive anthrax where you can actually eat it And uh, the the most serious uh, inhalation next is digestive. And then the last you can be cured from it. Now, even inhalation, if you get something like Ciparol right away, you get a cure uh, antidote uh, that can, can, you know, save you basically. You may remember a lot of people got sick because of the vaccines uh, claimed during the Gulf War, you know, Gulf War. And they they came down with uh, with bad uh, results. Uh, because the, the, there's uh, imperfections in the vaccines. You know, what you said before about, and, and, and you were tying it this together, and it, maybe it goes off a little bit, but this is a bioweapon attack. And uh, you mentioned before about uh, COVID being a bioweapon. There are a lot of people that believe that. The Lawyers' Committee hasn't taken a position that's yet on that, uh, and we don't know if we will, but certainly, uh, individually, uh, we have. You know, it, it, I, you know, we probably all can speak for ourselves. One uh, this Sunday we're going to have a big conference up in uh, f- with uh, the Lawyers Committee sponsoring it. Last year we had one in New York City. Of course, we were there we could shake people's hands. And now we have to do it on, you know, online. But uh, we're going to be doing it, and a uh, uh, Sunday at three to six in the afternoon, uh, Eastern Time. And we have Francis Boyle as a guest. Uh, Francis Boyle is an expert on bioweapons, and he believes that this is a COVID. COVID is a bioweapon. We're going to have Merle Nash speak, too. She's an expert in uh, in anthrax. In fact, she was involved in the biggest outbreak of anthrax, trying to deal with it in Rhodesia uh, many years ago. She's a doctor, and she's also a consultant for the Lawyers Committee. And so we're going to have Bill Binney there. Bill Binney is, uh, you know, Bill Binney is an NSA whistleblower. We're going to have uh, Ray McGovern. He's a CIA whistleblower. We're going to have... Uh, Christopher Joya, he's a fire uh, chief or fire commissioner who has joined our lawsuit, and he thinks that the buildings came down in New York City because of controlled demolition. And uh, we're going to have, uh, you know, Barbara will be there speaking, Mick, myself, and uh, Graham McQueen, who wrote a book on the domestic conspiracy in anthrax, he's going to be there. But I guess the bottom line is, I was wanted to say this was the first bioweapon attack in the United States, had it been properly investigated, maybe, maybe just what's going on today wouldn't be going on. And maybe there's some kind of similarity. I know people have talked about the dark winter exercises before the anthrax and the uh, purple contagion a- exercises before uh, the uh, the COVID and the same people writing the text, the scripture, mm-hmm. and et cetera. So,
0: uh, D- David, may I, may I just try to cut you off? I just couldn't. Resist! I didn't want to miss the point, but also that you. I, I'm totally happy that. Uh, happy is an unusual word, but I'm delighted to hear that you are, you know, of the same mind or of, a, or of a similar mind to some of the things we were saying earlier in the show. One of the points that, right at this target point here, is the uh Johns Hopkins uh, right. was involved with that event, the one you just mentioned, which was the one, uh, I think it was just prior to the anthrax attack. And of course, they were involved with event 201 as well. So you see the same players, the same cycle being rolled out in in, in the agenda. I mean, I I have no evidence for this. I can't say that. Well, well, well you do. And and, and I can only
8: speak, I'm not speaking on behalf of the lawyers committee, because I said we haven't decided on that. What we've decided on is this controlled demolition in the buildings and that, that Bruce Ivins, uh, was innocent, and that the FBI was uh, deceptive and perhaps corrupt, and that we are petitioning Congress. But as an individual person and as a citizen of the United States, uh, I uh, I feel I feel your pain when you talk about that. I mean, I understand the global attack and and the Agenda 2030 and uh, or 2021 or whatever you want to call it, and the uh, mm-hmm. attempts to undermine the the nation-state and the family and religion, etc. So this is what you're, I think, describing as what's happening in the world today. And uh, I would say, based on my individual assessment as a United States citizen who's looked into this, uh, you're actually uh, 100% right, this is what's happening. It is really the turning point or a fork in the road for our humanity. It's so serious. And when you talk about the COVID and the social distancing and the mask and the lack of scientific proof there, we've seen this with regards to uh, the World Trade Center and with the anthrax, the lack of science, this is the debunking of science, the fraudulent science, or again, you mentioned before the fake news. So we're dealing with that too. Uh, so again, I don't want to take up all the time because you have other speakers here. You haven't heard from Mick yet, Mick Harrison, our litigation director. And you might want to hear from Barbara, but I'm excited about you guys. I'm excited that I hear this. I didn't know you were, you know, you were saying these things. And I wish everyone could hear this. Uh, This is another side uh, that that people should have. This should be fleshed out, and the uh, the patterns of government and abuse should be shown. Uh, What we're really concerned about is the Constitution. You mentioned the Second Amendment, of course. The Second Amendment protects all 10 amendments in the United States, protects your freedom. If you don't have the Second Amendment, you'll probably become a slave. Dave, Uh,
3: Dave, um, I'd like to just jump in here if I could. It's Barb. And also something you said, very important. Um, I I don't think that you and Mick are aware that I was able to get the um, Westview News uh, ad and article um, to Kinthea, and it is right at the top. Uh, Of the uh, radio and pictures items so um, people can see uh, all of the people in our big lawyers committee online event this uh, Sunday September 13th 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time and uh, I don't think Dave mentioned uh, it is on this uh, on this uh, Westview news item that you can pull up from radio and pictures items but um, the way that you watch it live and it's free is you uh at or just a minute before three p m eastern <clears throat> this sunday um you would simply that's two days from now you would simply go to our website which is l c stands for lawyers committee l c four that's f o r not the number four um uh nine one one let's see <laughs> what is it um l c four nine one one truth isn't it i forget no 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 no
8: LC49 LC for 911 yeah right. Just,
3: that's right LC four f for 911 just go there and it will be obvious on uh, that homepage that main page uh, where you uh, can just uh, start the video uh, to watch the live stream
0: may I just go back to this anthrax thing because I know that we have a great deal of material to cover and also many more guests to to talk with but uh, this this Anthrax attack, mail shot. What let's just take a sort of a high altitude look. And you know, if you want to say it off the record and maybe a personal view, I'm, I'm also very happy to, to discuss on that level as well. But what do you think the purpose of this anthrax attack was? Was it to bring in legislation? Was it to make the target Iraq? Because initially, the uh, the, what was the, the chemical you meant? Is it bendite? Ben- Bentonite. Tonight, excuse me. Initially, it was steered towards uh, an Iraqi origin when, in fact, it came back to homeland in the end. But do you think what was the purpose of the anthrax attack, do you think?
8: You, you know, what we have found out, or at least I found out personally with all of the, the 9-11 crimes, that uh, they're well thought out, usually, I think. And they have more than one goal. When they do this, they they affect so many different areas. So that uh, one of them, as you mentioned, could be uh, to have more uh, surveillance in this country. The The biggest threat, I think, in the world for the, the globalists is the Constitution. And I look at the American Constitution. It could be uh, gladly exported everywhere in the world and people would embrace it because it gives them freedoms more so than maybe in a lot of places they have the freedom. In this country, anyway, we—that's what we rely on. We fall back on the Constitution. If we didn't have a Constitution, I'm not sure what we fall back on. I mean, a lot of people fall back on religion, which is fine. But the Constitution was put together by revolutionaries, and uh, maybe they—you know—to on hindsight now they say, "Oh, there was imperfections." There were, but for those men, for their day, were the best. They were the cream and the crop. So then you can might say, "Okay." They want to attack the Patriot Act. We have Bill Benny as a speaker. Twenty-four-seven surveillance He's going to talk about the harvesting of all cell phone communications, text messages, web searches, emails—totally illegal, unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. They do it all the time. I, uh, I it, wanted,
3: it, I wanted yeah, to I, bring
5: I, that up actually. With that, uh, um,
3: I'd like specific, to, before you before you do, and then, if, Can I just respond to that as well, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just like people to know that uh, in response to the question is what was the purpose? Um, what I'm about to tell you, I'm certain from a personal, we haven't taken a position on it in the lawyers committee. We may in the future, who knows? However, um, it is a fact that the uh, Patriot Act w- was originally a, a, a much more um, uh, repressive uh, text. And two senators, lay and Dashell were the ones who had their finger in the dike and were saying no, both to the more repressive language and also delaying its passage because of that. And George Bush and Dick Cheney and Attorney General Ashcroft, especially Cheney and Ashcroft, actually went public. And they gave Congress, and the real audience, of course, was Lady and Dashiell, those two senators, they gave Congress an, a de- an actual deadline, a name deadline of October 5th to pass the Patriot Act and implied was or else. Well, there were two or else's. It's not a coincidence that when October 5th approached, just a few days before, the very first person to come down with inhalation anthrax, the deadly kind and died for it, guess with it, guess what day he died? October 5th. And we also now know from a document that's now finally been released, Then on October 4th, when he was in a coma and almost dead, and the White House knew about it, Bush, Cheney, and Ashcroft knew about it, that Bob Stevens in Florida, the first to die of the anthrax attacks, then on the 4th of October, happened to be the day that John Yoo, YOO, who was in the uh, Department of Justice under Attorney General Ashcroft, doing Ashcroft's bidding, sent... The text of a, to this day, secret presidential finding that Bush signed, guess what, October 5th, on October 4th, it's sent from the Department of Justice to Bush, and it's the horrendous, now ruled, unconstitutional and illegal uh, finding by the Office of Legal Policy at the Department of Justice that it was that it was okay for the president to authorize illegal wiretaps against all United States citizens, and we're still in that to this day. It's come; it's been rolled back a little bit, but not much. So I think that's uh, a major, major reason for it. And obviously, uh, the the other reason uh, was to uh, to actually force through the Patriot Act. Which didn't happen, I don't think, until October 21st. But guess who got the... Guess what the other or else was. It was deadly inhalation anthrax at one trillion spores per gram. To this day, our own government and military claims they couldn't reproduce it and don't know who did. We don't believe that. But nevertheless, the government to this day claims that that anthrax not be uh, reproduced. It was in the letters to the two senators. And they were clearly intended to... Almost certainly assassinate and change the result of the Patriot Act deliberation.
8: You know, too, there's the the war with Iraq. Uh, Richard Clark covers that against all enemies. Uh, well, you know, he he, he what's well, interesting when he, in his book he's talking about how he wanted so badly to uh, look at, at Al Qaeda, etc. <laughs> and uh, he's giving them briefings and briefings. Nobody's taking them seriously, seems to be because Bush. And the, uh, in, the, in his cohorts, all they wanted to do was go after Iraq. And, then, and they're basically given any kind of reason, you know, find me some way to go after Iraq. So eventually Iraq, you know, is attacked. But here's the thing. This is what I've been thinking lately. Again, it's not the Lawyers Committee, just as a, as a citizen. Is that the question I had, too, is that, and I mentioned it, this is AIM strain. Now, you know, that was kind of stupid to use AIM strain in the United States. Unless, uh, you know, the the likely ones that, that as we said, the suspects seem to be uh, a, a Battelle Memorial connected to CIA. At that time, CIA was doing three uh, uh, programs, top secret that nobody knew about, and they were playing. They were dealing with the bioweapons. And see, at that time, there was a treaty that uh, is still in existence uh, that you're not supposed to create an offensive. Bioweapon—it's—it's it's against international agreement, and they, in order to to test vaccines, sometimes you have to do that. At the same time, Russia was doing the same thing, and some other countries. But what we found out, and maybe Mick rem- m- m- might recall, there were other countries that had the aims. It could be, you know. Again, we're not—we're not there yet. But the, when a likely suspect is too likely, as we go forward here, Dugway and Battelle. And the CIA looked like there's a connection here. And, uh, you know, the connection is here because of the type of anthrax that was used. The question I asked is, well, these guys are pretty shrewd. Why would they use that kind of anthrax? This Dave, has American. I,
0: strength. Yeah, go ahead. I'm very sorry to cut you off, but we have a, a break coming uh, at the top of the hour. <laughs> I'm absolutely enthralled and fascinated by what you're saying. But uh, we're just going to take a little break and listen to a promo, some music, and we'll be back very shortly. Sure. Uh, Let's hear some more about this fascinating subject.
4: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, $0.02 per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
6: Hi, this is Ola Damagod from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows, so enjoy.
2: Other side of the news. Our show tonight is Reality Hijack 911. Our guests are Mick Harrison, David Meiswinkle. Richard Gage and Barbara Honiger, co hosts Timothy Saunders, Annetta Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. And I'm wanting to bring on the other guests, but before we do, I'd like to bring Annetta back on because she had a thought that I'd like you all to hear. Hi, thank you.
5: So I, I wanted to talk a little bit before we get totally lost because there's so much stuff to cover here, but I did want to kind of go over a little bit about the history of the Patriot Act and I know it's, it's, I know it's a, the, a lawyer's group, uh, so this shouldn't be too, too difficult to do. But I, I wanted to kind of give our listeners a bit of background about the Patriot Act, how it vastly expanded the government's authority to spy on its own citizens. And while it was reducing the checks and balances like, uh, of judicial oversight, public accountability, the ability to challenge the government in searches, uh, searches in court those types of things, I also the history. And um, I particularly wanted to bring up how it directly violates the Fourth Amendment, or that's the way I see it. And since I'm talking to a bunch of attorneys, I'd love to, to get your view on that. But, um, you know, which the Fourth Amendment, in the way I understand this, is it it says the government cannot conduct a search without obtaining a warrant and showing probable cause to believe that the person has committed or will commit a crime. So how is this still in place? And, you know, what what can we do with this?
3: Mick would be the best person to answer that question.
7: Well, um, interesting question. And I think uh, there's been a recent court decision. I haven't had a chance to read it. It's so recent that it seems to be moving in the direction that you're suggesting, which is short answer is that the Patriot Act has a statute passed by Congress, of course, has to give way to the Constitution if there's a conflict, and I think this recent court decision found a conflict. Um, so litigation, which is, you know, what I do and what the Lawyers Committee is doing some of on several fronts, is probably the answer initially to solving the problem. But of course, the courts have the power to strike down any statute that violates the Constitution, but the other alternative is of course to get Congress to rescind it or amend it to take out the offending unconstitutional parts that takes a certain uh, critical mass of people uh, and maybe uh, how should we say a landslide in an upcoming election to achieve that which may be possible so those are the two uh, obvious paths that come to my mind for fixing what is I think you correctly uh, describe as a significant constitutional problem.
5: Right. Yeah. So um, anyone who listens to the show knows I kind of have a thing for the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs>
9: yeah.
5: So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I look at the history of this, uh, you know, the Patriot Act here and how it was, it was slammed through. It was 342 pages. It changed, you know, 15 existing laws. And yet, the uh the senate version of this was given to them without any time to review it um they they didn't have any kind of uh, time to debate it um and and basically they were threatened with the thing that if you didn't vote for this and something happened while they were all terrified only six weeks after the uh the incident of 9-11 that uh, you know that you would be you would be held responsible for any further terrorist act. And I think that there was so to the anthrax issue, I think there was a lot more than just that verbal threat of you will be held responsible if you vote against this, you know you're you're one of the bad guys. So there was an immense amount of coercion, but there was also this anthrax and some very you know very real, I mean they they snuffed these people as far as I can tell. And, you know, when we look in hindsight, we look at the way the, the covering up of reporting that happened along the way, you know, like from the very beginning. Um, there were a, a lot of things. I remember at the time um, hearing things and all of a sudden it would just vanish. It was like it was never said, but it's like, I know I heard that. Um, so, so what do we do with something like this? I mean, I know you guys are doing something with it. But the reason I ask it in that, that um, tense is because I really see the corollary between what is currently happening. We had the boogeyman terrorist, which may or may not have ever existed, and I don't think it did. That's my personal, and, you know. Uh, and then we had the, the boogeyman virus that may or may not ever have existed. And certainly it isn't what they've told it to be. I mean, the story that we're told, we, you know, there's pretty much irrefutable proof at this point. So how can we how can we learn from this and 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 stand up to what's currently happening also? Because it's so similar.
7: Well, this is Mick. Let me start and my colleagues may want to chime in. I think there is a pattern here and the pattern goes back further than people may think. Um. I guess it started back at least 1963 with the Kennedy assassination. Speaking for myself, but in terms of trying to control uh, the public's perception and trying to get away with major crimes to essentially accomplish a coup uh, first in this country and then to use the power of this country to, you know, control world resources, which I think is what's involved here. It's still in progress, but seems to be what's involved. You're talking about a pattern uh, over several decades. When I became a lawyer in 1992, I guess it was, and I was working at the Government Accountability Project as a law student a couple of years before that. One of my first cases at uh, GAP was to represent EPA scientists who were fighting against a campaign, at that point initiated by the administration, um, to essentially politicize science, and that uh, campaign has continued. Uh, we, you know, we've won some battles on it, but it continues. And the anthrax petition that we're filing tonight, or maybe early tomorrow, depending on when we get off this call, um, is essentially another chapter uh, of that, um, you know, uh, politicizing science and fake news about science. ...in order to control perception of the American people and control our government and by using that power uh, to, you know, sort of try to gain global dominance. So the the short version of the anthrax attacks to punctuate what's already been said is that Senator Leahy and Senator Daschle, who were two of the more rational voices trying to slow down this rush to pass the Patriot Act... They were the targets, two of the primary targets of the second wave of the anthrax letters. A letter was opened in Senator Daschle's office that had the highly sophisticated, highly lethal, powdered anthrax. Another letter of the same type, maybe even more lethal, happened to be sequestered and quarantined because of the early attacks being discovered. And so it didn't didn't reach Senator Leahy. It was found in the quarantine mail but it in either of these letters could have easily killed those two senators and it appears that that was the goal it was the attempt you know it was an attempt to assassinate two united states senators to to promote a, a political or a corrupt agenda that we've been talking about and there was um anthrax found in the supreme court building in other congress people's offices uh you know this is a matter we're still investigating we have a follow-up filing that we hope to do in a few weeks, in October, to a federal grand jury on this issue, which, you know, we hope to have more evidence gathered by then. But, you know, this may have been not only uh, an attempted assassination, which, by the way, equates to the crime of treason, um, because you have a domestic attack originated from in the United States from... I mean, this is, we're talking about what the evidence indicates. We're open-minded, but the evidence is strong at the moment. It came from a military source in the U.S., or a military contractor source, and it was used against the United States government and the Congress. That is treason. So, um, it, that explains, I think, why the FBI wanted to, unfortunately, sort of sweep all that under the rug and talk about a lone wolf because otherwise it gets very complicated very fast about who was responsible for planning this treason, what was the goal, and, you know, at the moment, those perpetrators are still out there, and whether they're connected to the COVID thing is not, as David and Barb said, something the Lawyers Committee has weighed in on yet, but we're individually concerned about it. We may take it on, but there is a pattern, and the, the pattern with the anthrax issue is that certain of these corrupt power holders are willing to use even biological weapons, which has been sort of unthinkable even by, you know, the, some of the rogue countries we've criticized in the United States, but these bad actors are willing to use biological weapons and they're willing to use them against their own people, meaning in the United States to achieve their political or their corrupt agenda. And the the, the anthrax petition that we filed and the, the grand jury petition is coming may well establish enough of a pattern there that it may lead us into looking at whether or not COVID-19 is the next chapter. I don't know that it is and I don't know that it isn't. It's certainly worthy of a close look.
5: Hmm, definitely, yes. Um. I wanted to also say before I get totally off off base with this, uh, the Patriot Act stuff. On my show items under Anetta's show items, number one is a graphic of the the what the Patriot Act has done, and what it what it gets back to again is this idea of um, going after a terrorist whether it's there or not, and what it ends up saying is that all of this invasion of our privacy, all of the things that they have done that are, uh, from my viewpoint, completely unconstitutional, in the end has not produced any evidence against actual terrorism. So uh, when, when I look at this and we talk about patterns, and I, I think you eloquently said that, is that um, the patterns are, are about the, um, how do I wanna say that? The, the, the patterns exist to to push these other agendas. In other words, they're a cover-up. These things, that these events that happen, they're, they're these disastrous events, and then they offer a solution. The solution is always an erosion of these rights that we have, and, and um, it's always the same pattern. So it matters not whether it's, a, whether it's real or not, whether it's biological warfare or not, um, whether it's a made-up thing or not. We seem to have the same thing. I mean, right. um, yeah. So, and and, then the the Patriot Act is about surveillance and, and, um, are, you know, I remember back, like I used to fly and I used to put a different name on my ticket. I'm I'm giving away my age, (laughs) but, uh, um, I used to fly and then in the Clinton uh, era, uh, all of a sudden we had to have, you know, all these IDs to fly and all that. Before that, we didn't. I mean, people, people forget. We used to actually go into airports and all these things happen. Well, you know, we're kind of like the, the the frogs that are in the cold water and then they turn up the heat and they turn up the heat and we're cooked. And now they're just like really, you know, they're they're deep frying us. Um, because we forget these these things are taken away piece by piece play you know little item by little item and sometimes when we have something like nine eleven, and then the anthrax scare right behind it that it you know they they erode enormous amounts of our rights at one time and i think right. this is exactly what we're staring we're we're it's been enormous. We've never had anything like this. You know, it's way overused. The term was unprecedented, but it's unprecedented what we're having right now.
8: You I know what? Uh, Two is that uh, uh, the, the uh, scenario they follow all the time is uh, there's a problem, mm. and, and then there's a reaction to the problem. They cause the problem, and there's a reaction. The people react to it, and then they they give you the solution. So in nine eleven, you have outright panic and horror and then you have these all these acts coming in whether it be a tsa acts or with the homeland security or the patriot act and you you have all these now protections and if you go back to our founding fathers it's like when benjamin franklin is talking about you know the the debate between freedom and security and uh you know if, if you uh for example, you give up your your right to have a gun, and then you're giving both your rights up. You know you're not going to be secure. But Jefferson hit on it again, another founding father. He said, if you want a democracy, you have to uh, be vigilant and educated. And uh, Americans are, aren't necessarily that vigilant because they're 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 distracted all the time, and they're not educated because they're they're miseducated by the media, and also sometimes by the schools. If you have a a vigilant, educated population, they would have never got away with this. Uh, if if you teach people, uh, you know, some of the things that we're talking about here, as far as the patterns and how to detect a pattern, uh, you know, and maybe the first question you should ask when you see something happening that's tr- uh, so so terrible is that never count out the government as a possible suspect, because the bottom line is control and uh, for governments and and for you know people that want to. Uh, You know, take over, and uh, that's 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 something to always uh, you know to consider. That uh, that the end game. What is the end game? And if the end game is control, then then these things are being set up to control people and to maneuver them and manipulate them, and uh, and direct history. So Mick mentioned JFK, and that certainly directed history because uh, uh, you know he was going to do something about the Vietnam War. We have this uh, 9-11 thing that's it redirected history again. And the difference now is that we become enemy combatants, right? Before mm-hmm. it was like a little bit different, but now we are being attacked. It's almost like in some ways for years, uh, you know, our country, unfortunately, has been uh, coming down on third world countries and being uh, supporting dictators and things of that nature and it, taking their people's freedoms away. Well, now it's come back to haunt us you know, and uh, it, to take our freedoms away and uh, and attack our Constitution. So a lot of it, I think, if we study, restudy the, the founding fathers, we'll see a lot of wisdom in what they said because they fought a great tyranny. And that's what we have to do in our own ways. Now, we have a great tyranny before us. It's so sophisticated and uh, and clever and intelligent. And, and, and they think everything out. So we sort of, you know, we have to match that up somehow. And I think what we have to match it up with more than anything, though, is, is our moral integrity and courage and a love heart, heart, heart energy uh, can be defeat them. Eventually it, it overcome the fear, which they create, you know, everywhere in all everything they do.
5: Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that, especially the fear thing. I mean, I think the fear is the virus, by the way. Um <laughs> And and I know Kinthea and, and Timothy would both, you know, you guys can chime in here, um, about the, about us being a battle of the heart. It's like the, you know, the, there's forces, there's unseen forces, and we have to wake up to what we actually are and that we do, even if only in numbers, which I don't believe it's only, but even if only in numbers, we are the majority, they are the minority, and you know, the, the big thing is to not be complacent. You know, silence is, is being compliant.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
5: silence is compliance.
3: I think, and, I think the most important thing is you're absolutely right. It's the fear that is the goal, because without the fear, there's no control. I, I didn't mean to rhyme that. Mm-hmm. Even did.
2: Um, I'd like to uh, bring uh, Richard in on this call, too. Oh. Richard He's joined us. Richard. Oh, Richard. Well,
9: well, hello you guys. Yes. Great hello. Great hello. Welcome,
2: Richard.
0: You. Oh, thank you. Good evening, Richard. Hi guys. Awesome.
3: Hi. So, how did we do, Richard, on your conference?
9: Great. We had a wonderful conference and um, I mean, I I it was the first time I've ever tried to manage so many things at once. It was overwhelming. <laughs> but we had a few glitches, but uh, the the information was awesome.
3: Mhm. Well, thank Especially you.
9: Especially the that. anthrax information. Did you guys talk about that
3: yet? Oh, my God. That's yeah. what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so powerful. Yes, and I
2: wanted to let you all know that I've posted the information you were sharing about the Zoom tomorrow, the live Zoom, on the web page as well. So they will have it. Besides visually, they'll have a link to the website for the Zoom.
3: Very good. And I should mention to Dave and Richard and Mick, and I'll do the same, that because we've been preparing for Richard Gage's conference that we just came from before the show and doing the anthrax petition, which is just going out tonight, um, because of that, we haven't been able to get you items for your radio with pictures. But all of us can do that. So for any of the four of us, you guys um, get to Kinthea by email or email attachment as soon as you can. Any uh, links to articles, to websites, to uh, videos, documentaries, whatever you would like her to put up. And because it's digital, it'll be up there uh, for everybody who goes after the
2: show. And I, I would like to add that the Friday shows are completely available, the entire show. So your audiences, your listeners, you can share... Anyone can hear the show any time of the day, the complete show, with all the links. So, yes, I'll uh, gladly put up any information you share with us.
0: Thank you. May I jump in very quickly, because I'd, I'd really like to ask a question a cold, if I may. Richard, I'm Timothy Saunders. I'm one of the, the co-hosts, and I've listened and watched your work as, as I have followed all of your, your work. But one of the questions I have... Uh, really about the World Trade Center is if you take away all of the act of terrorism, if you take away the, the planes, you take away everything else. As two buildings, as the tallest buildings in the world, was there any fundamental issue with the health of the building? I mean, did they need to come down? Would it would it, would it have been convenient to just take them down? Was there any convenience? There? To all apart from the whole other aspect of this story, for example, yes. asbestos, um, or you know, was was there a concrete cancer or something.
9: Um, okay, yes, there was all kinds of reasons to bring these buildings down. They were only half occupied, by the estimates of some researchers. Uh, these were white elephants; uh, they couldn't mm. pay people to come in and 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 uh, assume these offices. Uh, the the issues uh, related more to asbestos, as you mentioned, because any work requires asbestos abatement, which was uh, a five billion dollar job in there. And then more than that was the electrical, mechanical and communication systems. This building was built in the mid 70s. yes, And uh, it's it, it was a, a, a big albatross uh, and, and furthermore, since you asked, uh, I don't mention this very often, but we're very aware that there was galvanic corrosion between the aluminum uh, uh, panels uh, on the exterior sheathing, uh, mm. their connection to the steel frame. And yes, I, I don't actually can't supply the evidence for that. But there's another gentleman who's done a lot of research and says, that he can. Uh, his name is Tom Scott Gordon.
3: Right, and uh, by the way, can he, uh, he's uh, Tom Scott Gordon has done uh, a letter to President Trump on exactly this, and I will send it to you for the Radio with Pictures items.
0: Mm. Thank, thank, thank you. you, Barbara. Me too, Barb. Yes. Yeah. So, so Richard, the, the, in effect, the, these two buildings, even though they were the sort of pride of manhattan and the world actually they were not running profitably because they were half empty they were in need of great renovation in, and also in terms of passing any sort of health bills or, or being in current health bills then being sort of full of asbestos was not the best adverti- advertisement to sort of bring new clients in, in to occupy the office space i guess so they to come down it was it was a convenience I mean, $5, five billion to rework the asbestos is huge. I, mean, I know Larry Silverstein paid something in the region of $4 years to go over the lease of the two buildings. So, you know, that's just to sort of put it in perspective. I have no idea what the turnover is of the building in terms of a business every year. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that was, thank you. You answered my question. Uh, and uh, thank you for that. Sure. And you
9: mentioned Larry Silverstein. Uh, let's talk about that. He acquired the buildings, World Trade Center 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, in a deal that uh, took place or, or uh, completed just six weeks before 9 uh, He And he had built Building 7, World Trade Center 7, which we should talk about also. And uh, in the in in the eight in the mid 80s, but then he bought all these buildings as bad of a business deal as you might think that was based on our uh, the conversation we just had. Um, he old he leveraged uh, a, a hundred. He had 15 million of his own money. He leveraged that to 125 million among his partners. And then he borrowed up to 3.2 billion dollars to secure. Uh, the rest of these buildings, and 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 he finally and he put all kinds of terrorist insurance on it that that is uh, unprecedented in in high rise history, and he walked away with five point six eight billion that he didn't have to pay to anybody else uh, because of the terms of those agreements. Uh, it's it's an extraordinary business deal that that should mm. be um, uh, put up. Uh, for all to see in the future to come.
3: And Richard,
0: that it might really I'd
3: just like to add to that, to what Richard just said, because I think it's critical. And that is that Larry Silverstein, this is acknowledged, I mean, it's in the court records and all of that, that Larry Silverstein was actually negotiating in the days leading up to 9-11 to, um, to be able to get two times his payout if there were two separate terrorist attacks on buildings that he owned or leased.
0: Yes, I I heard that, yes, indeed. I I was just gonna say, we're coming up to a break and I know that we have so many things to talk about and I'm probably talking all over other people's questions, but one point that I just wanted to make was that uh, during my daylight hours, I'm a yacht designer, have been for 30 years, and I'd actually met Larry Silverstein uh, the year after 9/11 uh, 9-11 event at the Monaco Yacht Show, strangely enough, and huh. uh, I, don't, I don't know if he'd had, had his payout by then, but he was certainly window shopping. Oh. But...
9: Wow, interesting.
3: I think we're going to need one of your yachts, Tim, to get away from this country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'd be very happy to start sketching anytime you're ready. <laughs> I can give you some good discount, Barbara, okay?
3: Well, thank you very much. We, m- we may talk about that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh, we're coming up to a break and we have a couple of minutes still. Uh, lots of actually slightly less. But um, that's, that's fascinating. But so those two buildings uh, ordinarily would have been very difficult to bring down because of their close proximity to all the other buildings. So one way or another, if bringing them down was a, a good decision, then there were two ways to do it. The illegal way and the legal way. So I guess they chose the illegal way. In any case, we're coming up to a well, they break.
9: Have a, wait, they didn't have a legal way. Uh, they were denied permits for demolition from the uh, from the uh, well, the Port Authority before Silverstein Bottom was denied permits from the uh, New York. Uh, uh,
2: oh uh, my gosh, facilities.
0: So they had no way out to pay. Oh, that, yeah, th-
9: there's no way out.
5: Yeah, that adds another layer, doesn't it? Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring up a bunch of things, but we are right up to the break. And um, so we need to take that and see you on the other side. So...
6: Hi, this is Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to Other Side of the News for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, The time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthea Timothy and Annetta and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great.
2: Welcome back to the other side of the news. The guests tonight are the uh, lawyers committee for the 911 inquiry. And we were just discussing uh, the alternate reasons why the towers came down and Annetta had another perspective. So Annetta, come on back in.
5: <laughs> well, it's not another it's not another perspective so much as additional. So, um you know, there, was, there, there were a lot of reasons for the building itself, but also, you know, and there was the insurance issue, and there's some other interesting things about the options tradings that occurred, the puts that were put out there. Um, so uh, for people that don't understand puts, uh, the put is put out that it only, the insurance, when you, when you it's basically an insurance policy on the stock. That ensures uh, that it will drop to a, will only drop to a certain point, and then it, it hits this this secure level, and that's where the option is. So when you know something's going to drop, you can put a put out there, and it, you can put a naked put out there for that, for for, for that, you know, uh, uh, reason, and make oodles and oodles and oodles of money. So uh, there is evidence uh, that the, actually that totally happened. But the thing that I wanted to bring up. Was the massive amount of training that happened between the two collapses of the towers and those um, hard drives? And they were stored in the building number seven. So we were going to talk about building number seven, uh, but uh, it looks like to me. I mean, I'm just a, you know neophyte in this, but you know, if you want to try to get rid of a lot of evidence, you could do what they did. But it was actually retrieved those hard drives. Um, so beyond the erosion of rights, which I think was the major player, you know, to to have the erosion of our rights, to create fear, you know, again, that same thing we talk about, like the problem, the reaction, the solution, and then the, uh, you know, the solution's always worse than the problem. Um, So, yeah, so do you have any comments on that, especially in regards to Building 7?
9: Well, let me set up the Building 7 issue in terms of the demolition first, and then others here are more capably <clears throat> capable to handle the uh, issue about the put options and the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is an incredible uh, story One of the, as one of the tenants in this building. But now Building 7 was a 47-story skyscraper that um, at, at on the afternoon of 9-11, about 520, uh, witnesses hear explosions. And we have half a dozen of these on file here, and we show. And then this building drops like a rock, straight down, uniformly, symmetrically, into its own footprint in under seven seconds. Now, that's incredible. That's as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky. This is free fall acceleration. A building can't fall at free fall acceleration Uh, While its columns are bending under weight and load and resistance, the fact that it's falling at free fall means not one of the 80 columns in this building gave any resistance during that fall, uh, at least the first uh, third of that fall. Um, So this this is absolute evidence in and of itself of explosive controlled demolition. I mean, it, it even looks like the old hotels in Las Vegas, and yet NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked with explaining this collapse to the American people by Congress, uh, said it came down by normal office fires. Well, normal office fires have never brought down a skyscraper before 9-11 ever. And now on 9-11, we have not two, (coughs) but three uh, protected steel fire protected steel frame moment resisting skyscraper dropping out of the sky with uh their the ends of the beams completely severed one from another they fall like a house of cards there's evidence of incendiaries in the world trade center dust in both ignited form and unignited form ignited form found by the u.s geological survey billions of uh tiny molten iron microspheres there. They're cool by the time they find them. Well, these, they have no idea where they came from, but they, they're, it's actually a signature element of the world trade center dust. And then we have, um, uh, the ignited, uh, excuse me, the unignited residue in all the world trade center dust, uh, seven samples independently collected and sent to this team of eight international scientists led by Niels Herrett in Copenhagen. What does he find? This this team uh, that they're dual layered red gray chips in all these dust. They come up to a magnet, so they're not paint. They they have a high iron content. Well, they do. uh, They zoom in fifty thousand times in the red layer, and they find rhomboidal shaped um, uh, crystals of of uh, iron oxide uh, and uh, aluminum platelets. The the powder. These are a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. the
0: crystallization shows that it's been rapidly heated, doesn't it?
9: Well, not in this case. Um, Ah. uh, These are extremely small particles, nano-sized particles embedded inside the the, the matrix in this red layer, and these are unignited. So there's no heat yet because this is unignited uh, uh, fluid applied Nanothermite—it's called superthermite. It was developed prior to 9/11 by Los Alamos Lab, Lawrence Livermore Lab. So, so this is—and guess what? When when these chips are heated in a differential scanning calorimeter, they uh, produce a thermitic reaction, uh, proving that it's not paint, first of all. But they they issue uh, molten iron droplets with the same size and the same chemical signature as the molten iron droplets documented in all the World Trade Center dust by the U.S. Geological Survey and R.J. Lee Group, an environmental firm. And they had no idea where these came from and they wouldn't speculate. And yet here is where they came from. So you see, Mm -hmm. this is a a uh, uh, self-corroborating, internally consistent set of repeatable experimental data that could put a lot of people away for a long time if we could ever get it into a special grand jury, which is what we've been trying to do.
0: Well, certainly from the video, when you see the building seven, which incidentally was reported on the BBC, I always remember that the BBC reported it had fallen. Actually, while it was still standing up, in the background of the reporter in New York telling us that it—that's probably they read the the uh, the wrong page of the the script at that point of the news. But uh, what, what's fascinating is that if a demolition company had been brought in to do that uh, demolition, then I think that they would have received a, a round of applause because the building came down perfectly, it came down almost exactly on its own footprint, it was almost a free fall in terms of speed, like you say, it, it was uh, no resistance, so it was a perfect job. I think they would have got a gold star AAA for doing that job, But We're supposed to believe that it happened from some random happening from some uh, three office fires, apparently, on one side.
9: Well, actually, what we're supposed to be doing is not knowing about it at all. The uh, American Institute of Architects has 90,000 members, of which I'm a member. They have not issued one bulletin on the uh, collapse of this building by fire. I mean, architects design buildings with fireproofing in order to keep them collapsing from fire. And yet uh, they simply rubber stamped the NIST report, didn't want to deal with it. We asked them to look at all this evidence. They just didn't want to do it. We go to all their conferences all around the country and we can't, um, well, we can't get the leadership's attention, but the rank and file are, are quite interested. And now with the engineering outreach we're doing with the results of the finite element analysis from Professor Leroy Halsey, who uh, conducted this study and concluded that fire couldn't have brought the building down, but that in order to bring it down, like it came down in the, in the videos, uh, they, it, you have to hit, it involved the simultaneous removal of all the columns in the building at, at once and, and within a second of each other, the interior followed by the exterior. So this is an amazing and, and complete contradiction and uh, damnation of the, NIST report itself, uh, and this is further reason why engineering associations and leaders in the field don't want to deal with it. I mean, high rises are a huge uh, boom to uh, the, the engineering and architecture societies. Uh, they provide most of their, their funding. So uh, they're just between a rock and a hard place, I guess. So,
5: does anyone want to comment on the uh, the securities exchange stuff that was going on? To
7: oh, this is Mick. I can give a short version.
5: Okay, great.
7: So, there are two components. One is the put options that were mentioned. And uh, the 9-11 Commission admitted that there was a lot of suspicious trading going on just before 9-11, including uh, what, you, what you correctly call basically bets that the stock on United Airlines and American Airlines would go down, which, they, of course, they did after their airlines were involved in the attacks, and other some of the other hard-hit companies, including one of the major tenants of the Trade Center Towers. But the commission came back and said something not very satisfying in terms of, uh, why they weren't going to look at that further, they said, well, we looked at who who put those put options in place, who made the bets, and uh, none of them had any apparent connection to Al-Qaeda, so it must be okay. Mm-hmm. And that sort of begs the question, of course, you know, why would you assume that only Al-Qaeda could have been involved in committing these crimes? That's the purpose of an investigation, is to find out. And yet they start, started with the presumed um, position that it was only Al Qaeda so that really wasn't much of an investigation the other um, component was a lot of evidence got destroyed in building seven securities and exchange Commission evidence as I recall a lot of that had to do with the Enron investigation Mm -hmm. so it was convenient and of course a lot of evidence got destroyed at the Pentagon regarding the missing, missing trillions of dollars. And if you, you know actually wanted to do a thorough survey, I think you would find that a lot of embarrassing moments disappeared in the dust of
5: 9-11. Yes, right. and it was my understanding that they, that they did find some stuff in the rubble from Building 7 that I, that looks like they didn't want it found, like it was supposed to go away and some of it came back and that was a little bit of a oops yeah. on their part. Yes, is, is, am I correct with that?
7: I think the hard drives are an example of that, uh, that showed some of the transactions. I don't remember all the details of other embarrassing moments that actually were recovered. Um, but I think the print, the concept you're talking about is correct.
9: You know, the rubble, was it began being disposed of just two weeks after 9-11, uh, particularly with Building 7. Uh, before investigators could get their hands on it, it was shipped uh, 400 truckloads a day to put on bar- be put on barges uh, and shipped to China for recycling. Uh, this is the illegal destruction of evidence in, in a crime scene, uh, prompting Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, to cry out crucial evidence that could answer many questions as on the slow boat to China showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately, but it did not. And Hazen Astani Azel, a structural engineer who had access uh, to the, the Fresh Kills landfill to study this deal from the National Science Foundation, he um, uh, said, that all the steel was being taken to China for recycling for fifteen cents a pound. That's nothing. In other words, they 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 basically paid China to take this steel.
5: Right. Well, yeah, and it's it is interesting because this is a back to this pattern idea, where you know we keep seeing the same patterns, and what I see here is yeah they're they're trying really hard to cover up to to. You know, let's look over here while we do this over there. Let's destroy the evidence. Let's censor it. We see it over and over again.
8: You, you um, know, that's uh, with this, what we're talking about. Uh, I think that uh, we're aware of the problem. It's just that there's so many things to look at and facets of these crimes that we haven't really studied it. But in our next grand jury uh, petition with regards to obstruction, uh, government uh, obstruction and misconduct, uh, the, I think the Security Exchange Commission, etc., cetera, uh, will be looked at. And uh, the, there is a, you know, like we didn't mention Wirt Walker. He was supposedly a suspect. He worked for Stratosec at one time. Uh, he was uh, high up in there and he was a uh, former CIA and a uh, cousin of, of, uh, of Bush, the president. Uh, so I think he was uh, disqualified because he didn't, he didn't fit the profile. I think Mick mentioned something about people p- fitting the profile. But there's a uh, an individual named Richard Grove who uh, uh, he f- has a fascinating story. And apparently he was aware of, and I, f- I forget which corporations that were aware in the towers, that uh, there was a system, a computer system that could, it was a back door to other, I don't know if it was Merle Lynch or one of these big corporations. And it was stealing lots of money, lots of money. And uh, there was complaint by these fellows, and they were told to meet, uh, to sort this out in the, one of the towers, one of the highest floors. And he uh, was late for his, the meeting, and uh, all those people were killed. In other words, they were trying to expose corruption uh, within the you know, within this, uh, complex, big-time corruption. I think AIG might have been involved, et cetera. So uh, that's like an uncharted area, I think, that uh, is uh, ripe for exploring. Now, what you're going to find out, you know, all the the bones have been picked here, you know, uh, so many years later, but I think you probably can find some very interesting things out. uh, I think what was just said, you know, by all the speakers is just, you know, it it sort of opens up the door a little bit to uh, maybe want to get in there. I know I've heard things about Deutsche Bank and things of that nature and, uh, I'm not sure what's available. I mean, we know a fellow that uh, uh, he's uh, connected, not connected, but he's uh, trying to do a lot of FOIAs uh, on his own, and, and we know him, and he hasn't had a lot of success, I believe, uh, with the uh, you know with the stock exchange, yet, but he has good ideas. He's been trying, and uh, we haven't just had the time and energy to to plow into that one particular area, but it's I think probably a fertile area to do so because you're dealing with the money and you're dealing with foreknowledge these people knew that this was going to happen and they were cashing in as you put with the puts.
5: Yes. (laughs) We, I, I, I understand we have a caller on the line. So Keith, you want to bring him in?
0: Okay. Well, may I ask a question very quickly until Mm -hmm. Keith comes in the caller, I believe there was also a truck found loaded with gold underneath one of the buildings, I think it was mm-hmm. building 6, I think there was a big gold repository underneath the World Trade Center and uh, apparently it was loaded far more than uh, people thought but during all of the chaos truckloads of gold bullion were being removed, is, is there any truth to that?
3: Yes there is, there's a book on it.
0: Really? Wow. So a lot of busy hands at work um, during John this calamity.
3: Hello, are you hear me? Oh, there you are. Okay. That uh, sounds like John Francis.
2: Program.
1: Yes, it's a very interesting program and very timely. Uh, one question I have, or, or a comment, and a question is: None of this cover-up and uh, perpetration of misinformation would be possible without the complicity of the media and the control of the media. And so the question is: At what point in our history did Did this happen? Did the media become just uh, uh, an outlet for propaganda and disinformation? And uh, now we're seeing not only that, but we're seeing, of course, we have now alternate media, but now the alternate media is being silenced and censored. So uh, what can we do um, in the area of the media and free speech to prevent something like this happening again and to put an end to what's happening now?
8: You know, that goes back to the 1920s, at least. In the congressional record, uh, congressmen put, at that time, the uh, the barons of Wall Street, the Morgan interest, were buying up all the newspapers that control basically the mindset of the people. Uh, and they, they actually put it in the congressional record, the, uh, basically those facts. Uh, I think we've always had a problem, but if you recall the Vietnam War, at least they showed the pictures and, and, and maybe, let's put it this way, they were more objective in their coverage. But uh, since Operation Mockingbird, and I'm not sure the exact years that that was implemented, that's a CIA operation where they actually implant people in the media. And, uh, you know, they write articles and or provide media with uh, articles or work for the media. So uh, right now we have the same problem you're mentioning with regards to the alternate media is being censored everywhere. And you have uh, agent provocateurs or you have infiltrators uh, everywhere. The surveillance state is willing, and they have the money and the means to try to control the narrative. So uh, it's it, you're 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 hitting right on the head of one of the most important areas: is the freedom of the press and the freedom of information. Uh, it, 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 the first thing is probably to be aware that it's not free; it's not as free as it should be. And it, when Jefferson set you know when they set the uh, First Amendment up. They looked at the uh, press as like the fourth estate. The, the press was going to keep us free, just as some people would say, you know, the right to bear arms is going to keep us free. But if you combine both of them, we're free people. We're not worrying about what we're, what's going on here. The problem we see in 9-11, in your right, it's totally a lies. It's all that media puts out. They put out one side. And, uh, you know, years ago, I was involved in some local politics. We had to, inv- we had to create our own newspaper. Because all of the people, the, the, the newspapers, uh, the reporters, they just took the script that the politician, he was big shot politicians, a powerful state senator and the mayor, and they would just print what they did. So we created our own newspaper and we eventually got the FBI in town. We had a U.S. attorney and, and the, uh, the uh, HUD in town and, and, and they did actually arrested people and stuff because people needed an op- another alternative. So I guess what I'm saying is that, yeah, badly, we need alternatives. Thank God for alternative media, like the show we're on right now, right? (laughs) At least we could get it out and vet it. But at the same time, you're right, too, that lots of times that uh, their psychology is this. uh, They allow things to happen so you can vet it a little bit. If they close it all down, maybe they think that it's going to explode, so you leave a steam, little steam going off. There's a psychology to this. They're mass manipulators, and they are very uh, astute You know, in what they're doing. So I, I mean, that's a long answer to your question. I don't know if it answers it, but I look at the Operation Mockingbird, and these people that are controlling the world know they have to control the media, how you think, and that's what they intend to do. They put their yeah. billions of dollars into doing that.
3: I'd like to answer that question as well it's a Barb, because I have a personal experience that really blew my mind and opened my eyes at the same time. Um, as many of you know, I worked in the West Wing of the White House in the Reagan, and Reagan Bush Senior Administration, and um, the experience that, I, that I'm about to tell you uh, gave me the answer to that question, what we can do about it. And that is, um, I became the first public resignation of conscience from the Reagan Bush administration from the White House itself. And that resulted in about 10 days of national and international publicity. It was truly mind-blowing. I didn't expect that to happen, but it did. And um, during this period of time, uh, I was on Good Morning America, Today Show, 60 Minutes, I mean, you name it. I've still got all the tapes. And during that period of time, I was invited to go to the TV studio of Der Spiegel, which is really arguably probably the most... um, respected uh, uh, newspaper, uh, magazine actually, I think it's a weekly magazine like Timer Newsweek in Germany. And uh, so I went there and uh, I met uh, the the guy who interviewed me also did a series of articles, he was very serious about the October surprise, which is what I later was uh, revealing the truth behind the Iran side of Iran Contra. To make a long story short, what happened was, is that About three weeks before the 1988 election between Dukakis and Bush senior, i had already been putting out the truth that Bush senior had stolen the 1980 election from Carter with his treasonous deal with the Khomeini regime. And there was a press conference at the National Press Club. There were only two speakers. There was myself. As the whistleblower on on the October Surprise, what was really going on with Iran Contra, the Iran side of Iran Contra, and Terry Reed, if you recognize him, he was the whistleblower on the CIA drug running um, down to the Nicaraguans and back. Okay, so the two of us and and they we originally we were we were put on by the way by uh, Ray McGovern uh, organization Veterans Intelligence Professional Sanity. I was sponsored by them for this press conference. Hey, hey Barb,
7: Barb. Yeah you got a two-minute warning to close.
3: Okay, 30 seconds. So um, the bottom line is we held this press conference, and the media from the world came. Every single television station, they had to keep taking down the dividers between the walls. And there wasn't every single camera was going. Every single uh, newspaper was there from around the world, not just the U.S. There was nothing, nothing except for Der Spiegel when it actually came out publicly. And I asked Martin Killian the next day, I said, Martin, a couple of days later, why is Der Spiegel the only one? He said, the answer is simple, Barbara. We own the journalists and the reporters and the editors. We own the newspaper. There's no management.
0: There we go. So we need more independent journalists, more independent media companies. and need own
3: uh, their own newspapers. They need to own their own radio stations. Like Richard Hogan does his. I wanted to to add in. Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to say real quickly, I have
5: items number four and five under my items. One is a Google whistleblower. And then there is a Senate bill that's being put out right now by the U.S. uh, Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation. A press release was released today on that, which is very positive in the subject. That's it. Wow. It's item number five.
3: Thank you.
0: I was just going to say that we're completely out of time already, and I have two more pages of questions I haven't even started yet. But So would you guys like to come back and join us again sometime and perhaps give us an update on how everything is going, and perhaps after this weekend event when you can all come together again sometime? I'd love to hear about this English trial, this guy in England that may uh who who has unfortunately passed away in, in that in the twin tower collapse and i believe that that case is may reopen possibilities of opening cases in, in the united states courts as well he's
3: going so to I'd be lo- on richard hoagland's show with us tomorrow night
0: oh he is he, yes, he himself matt is going to be yes oh, okay mm-hmm. well then uh i'll listen into that
3: absolutely they'll be on the second hour richard gage and matt campbell from the uk
0: okay
7: but we would be happy to come back
0: we would thank yes. you Yep, thank you very thank much. You. Well, thank you all so much. I think it was, from my perspective, it's a fantastic show. I really enjoyed having you on. It's a thoroughly fascinating story, ongoing story, and clearly lots of work to do in the future. But well done, and thank you for what you've done in the past. Thank you all. So,
3: uh, thank you. Thanks. Yes.